When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. Jackson for his tight end, brought in by Mark Andrews, who escapes and goes all the way for the touchdown. Intercepted, picked up by Thomas. Earl Thomas with a foot race. Brown won't get him. That will be six. Looking a little option. Jackson beats. Jackson breaks the tackle. He's right to the pylon, and it's a touchdown. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven. Off season here, but a lot to discuss in these past few weeks. I'm Antonio Barbera, joined first and foremost on the East Coast by Tim Horsey. Tim, how are you doing? Uh, when I'm not sweating through my shirt, I'm doing well. Uh, it's very, very hot here. It's weird that sports are about to start up in the dead heat of summer, but outside of that, I'm doing, I'm doing great. And then on the West Coast, with probably the same heat, but probably less humidity. Jace Evans, how are you doing over there in Los Angeles? Doing well. Uh, like Tim said, uh, baseball starts on Thursday, <laughs> like the regular season. Um, we are obviously Orioles fans here. Do not know who's throwing the first pitch. Uh, not going to be a good season for your O's, but baseball is back, uh, and that's exciting. So excited to get uh, some sports back and going here in the next week and two weeks. A 60-game season where the Orioles over-under wins, I think, is 20-and-a-half. So that, you know, not not supposed to be great times in Baltimore for the Orioles, but it's always great times in Baltimore for the Ravens. We have some, some news to discuss about the team. Some rankings have come out. Some Instagram stuff has happened. Uh, ESPN loves the Ravens long-term. We have a few NFL notes. Uh, the Redskins have not had a great two weeks. And then at the end of the show, we want to go over uh, this nice sort of little thing that the Ravens put out uh, for the 25th anniversary, looking at their 25th, 25th, wow, their 25 greatest games. So we're going to go through some of those games, ones that we remember better than others, and which one we think is the best game or or should be in the top five. So let's start first with uh, just some straight Ravens news from the past two weeks, and we're going to turn to Instagram. Because where else should we be turning these days? I don't have Instagram, but you guys informed me that the 
Ravens had a, a, basically assembled an all-time team via Instagram voting. Uh, I'm going to turn to Tim on, on this because you, uh, I think you sent it to me first, but w- why did the Ravens do this? Or uh, And then you want to start mention some names that should be on this list, shouldn't be on this list, or, or which unit on that team do you think is the best uh, on, on the Ravens roster? Right, so they, they did this, uh, what was it, last week? Obviously, we're only recording every two weeks now in the offseason. It's all to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the Baltimore Ravens. Um, and it was a fan-voted thing. Uh, I believe on this story here on BaltimoreRavens.com, they said they had over 8,000 votes, which seems incredibly low, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, your, your, your units quickly, because I want to run through this. You can see the full list yourself on Instagram at, at, at Ravens, I believe is their handle, or just search Ravens fan voted all-time team, and the first thing that pops up is the article from BaltimoreRavens.com. Um, the, the, one of the more controversial picks, which I'm sure we'll get into, Lamar Jackson at quarterback, Jamal Lewis at running back, Vontae Leach at fullback, of course. Uh, your wide receivers are Anquan Bolden and Steve Smith Jr., Todd Heap, the tight end. Your tackles, Jonathan Ogden, Ronnie Stanley, uh, Marshall Yonda, and Kalechi Osemele uh, as the guards with Matt Burke in the middle of that offensive line. Your defensive line is Haloti Nada, Goose, Tony Saragusa, and Michael McCrary. Uh, linebackers, T. Sizzle, Peter Bulware, Ray Lewis, and C.J. Mosley with Chris McAllister, Marlon Humphrey, Ed Reed, and Rod Woodson on the back end with your special teamers, Jay Tuck, Sam Cook, your long snapper, Morgan Cox, which is probably the easiest one out of all of these, to be completely honest, because <laughs> uh, he's like literally the only long snapper I can remember that ever played for the Ravens. <laughs> I think he's been there all 25 years. Uh, and Jacoby Jones as your return specialist. So... I, there's, there's, I have some names on this list. Uh, I know we'll talk about the quarterback in a second, but a man who is near and dear to Antonio's heart. So, Antonio, I actually do want to start with you here. Derek Mason did not make this team um, over a guy like Steve Smith and Anquan Bolden. The three things those guys have in common is they probably are more prolific with their other teams, which says a lot <laughs> about the Ravens. But what do you make to Derek Mason not being on this list? It's inexcusable. It's inexcusable. Uh, you know, this could be my what's bothering Antonio this week if I wasn't going to have another thing bothering me later on. So I've been inside for too long because I'm getting upset at everything. <laughs> Derek Mason should probably be the number one wide receiver on this list, much less the three or four, wherever he is in theory, you know, outside of this list. And I, I guess it just sort of indicates the demographic of an Instagram vote is that they all are much more familiar with those other two wide receivers than they are with Derek Mason. He came to the team at a time when their wide receivers were so poor, they had uh, almost given up on drafting you know, early talent wide receivers because they were so bad at it. They needed a stabilizing force. And he's the franchise leader in receiving yards, Tim. I, I, I've spoken a, a few episodes ago, I think, where he basically had an entire second career in his 30s for the Ravens, where he led the team and received and had a thousand receiving yards in four seasons for the Ravens at a time when they did not throw the ball very often. Um, the guy had big games. The guy had big games hurt, uh, and there's just there's no reason he shouldn't be on here. I mean, he he came in 2005 when they had some you know an okay team. He was on that 06 team that went 13 and three, and then he was on the team. Still 08, 09, and 2010, which was that start of the Joe Flacco era where they went to the playoffs all three of those years. Big games against the Tennessee Titans 
in the playoffs, uh, and I believe that was 2008, I think, was the big sort of a big catch that he had in the playoff game against the Titans in Tennessee. The guy's got to be there, uh, and that's my big snub of this list. Yeah, uh, just for me on the wide receivers, Mason was the most glaring name left off the list, honestly, I think for any position, because like you said, he is literally the franchise leader. Uh, both Steve Smith uh, and Anquan, now great nicknames, so strong, ice up, social media things we love with uh, those two guys. Um, but they were only on the team each for, I believe, three seasons. Whereas, you know, Derek Mason played a lot longer with the Ravens, has a number of records. He's the best, uh, and he, um, <laughs> frankly, he was disappointed uh, with his exclusion from uh, this fan voting because he went uh, to Twitter, took to Twitter at, at DMace85 on Twitter with starting it off with the face palm emoji. Some people are just so ungrateful. It's crazy how you can clearly be the best wide receiver in two franchise history, but still get no respect. I feel like Rodman and Rodney Dangerfield all rolled into one. Hashtag numbers don't lie. Hashtag all caps alpha dog. <laughs> so, you know, I, I can't say I disagree with him. I like the tweet because I stand by Derek Mason, what he said. He is the best receiver the Ravens have had. Um, and he should have made this list. <laughs> yeah, I think, too, if you look outside of the obvious guys, this skewed young Ravens fan in terms of voting. And look, admittedly, I didn't even know about it. And I'm somebody who part of my job is to just sit on Twitter all day looking for stuff like this. And I didn't even know about it till the results came out. Um, he also joined Glenn Clark Radio, a man who I have great respect for, helped me launch my radio career. Uh, he joined Glenn's show and had some quotes, too. Quote, a friend of mine did send me the list. I opened it up, read it, and was a little bit per perturbed about it, to say the least. Uh, to say the least, excuse me. I guess my what I, what I was a little irritated by is that the Ravens had the, I'm not going to say audacity because that's too strong of a word, but they chose to put it on their website. It feels like it, they're validating what 8,000 people are saying when they know, in fact, that's nowhere near true. Uh, he continued on when they asked him if he feels respected by Ravens fans. It's tricky because it's almost like the Ravens validated that list. Uh, well, hell, they did. It makes you think, are you really still appreciated for what you did? If you, do win a if you don't win a Super Bowl, excuse me, it seems like they're just not going to remember you. Uh, he did finish with, I have nothing but respect for the Ravens. It, it, I would never say no to coming back or like a ring of honor or anything. But it did irk me a little bit. And it should have because he's the best receiver in Ravens history. Um, playing that game against the, the Cowboys with pretty much a dislocated shoulder and still dominating their secondary. He was the first receiver we had. If, if you're a young Ravens fan, you have it good right now. You have no idea <laughs> what it was like to deal with Travis Taylor and Kadri Ismael and Patrick Johnson and all these guys. And it was, it was Todd Heap, it was Jamal Lewis, or it was Bust. That was pretty much it. And Derek Mason became that first guy that we're like, this is a name. Like, we have a name at, at receiver. And he was a guy who... Joe Flacco, and we'll, we'll talk about this later with the, the rewatching these games, he was a huge safety net for Joe Flacco um, before your Dennis Pittas and before your guys like that. Another thing here, and this will transition us nicely, and again, another example of it skewing young, is Glenn also asked Derek Mason about the quarterback position. And Lamar Jackson, the unanimous MVP, being chosen over Joe Flacco. And here is his response, quote, 
The other conversation between Joe and Lamar and Jackson is going to be tremendous. But you cannot tell me that Joe should not have been on that team. Maybe in another 10 years, but there's no way that Jack, excuse me, Flacco should have been left off. So, Jace, I'll throw to you, and not to play Antonio's role here of moderating. <laughs> what, do we, what do we think? Is it should be should it be the MVP, the man who's been in the role and only lost what three regular season games in two seasons, or should it be Joe, Mister Joe Cool, Elite Flacco? It should be is he Elite Joe Flacco because I'm not denying Lamar Jackson is a better quarterback than Joe Flacco. His highs are clearly higher. He won an MVP, something I think we only dreamed of Ravens QBs ever doing. Flacco never even appeared in a Pro Bowl during his time in Baltimore. Now Pro Bowl, that is what it is, but. Um, Jackson was a unanimous MVP at 22 years old. This, certainly the sky's the limit for him, and he will go down as the greatest QB in Ravens history if he continues on this trajectory. But you cannot tell the story of the first 25 years of the Baltimore Ravens without Joe Flacco. For better or worse, he is the defining quarterback, um, and probably the defining offensive player of the first 25 years, uh, of this franchise. And... For as great as Jackson is, and clearly, again, more talented than Joe, I think. I think last season showed that. Um, Certainly better, even, I would say. His one season better than anything Joe put up, uh, single season-wise. But it has to be Flacco. We're talking about 25 years of Ravens history. He was the QB for 11 of them, primary starter. Uh, And, you know, he's a Super Bowl MVP. Uh, Not to play the rings card, he... But he showed up in the playoffs. He had great success. He's the greatest QB. I mean, we've gone over, we played that game a few weeks back where we looked at, you know, how many of a thousand yard passers and Flacco's like 10 times the amount of passing yards as anyone else in franchise history. Uh, so not to ramble too long about it, but I, I, I just think it, it's a little, not disrespect, but I don't think it's acknowledging what Flacco did accomplish because Lamar is better. And we all love Lamar, and he's going to be great. But Joe Flacco did a lot, too. And, like, we shouldn't, like, you know, put him down just because Lamar is so great, you know? A few other names I want to look at on this list. I was actually pleasantly surprised that Jamal Lewis was picked as the top running back. I Again, based on this being a younger vote, I thought that Ray Rice could have really annoyed us and, and gotten that top spot while having 1,700 fewer rushing yards than Jamal Lewis. But Jamal, correctly there. And then another snub that I have, you know, a maybe snub, is uh, Jacoby Jones being the return specialist. I think Jermaine Lewis has some beef here. Had a longer career in Baltimore than Jacoby did. Had uh, eight total return touchdowns, including the postseason, which is more. I think Jacoby has like five or six uh, in his time with the Ravens, including postseason. So Jermaine Lewis, certainly a guy that was loved in Baltimore for a long time, uh, but I think Jacoby gets the, the recency bias there. But, uh, Tim, any other names uh, on this list that you would have maybe subbed in or out? Yeah, I have a couple. I'll start with one that I don't necessarily think should be, and some of these are I don't necessarily completely disagree with what they did, um, but Rod Woodson at safety is weird and I think part of that is because I'm looking at the historical starting lineups for the Ravens as we're doing this and everybody from 2002 on just got overshadowed by Ed Reed um (laughs) Dewan Landry probably has the best case I mean maybe a guy like Eric Weddle who was significant but very for a short amount of time although 
you can say the same thing about Rod Woodson, but you can also throw the, the rings argument in. Uh, I don't think Kelechi Assemble deserves to be on this list. I think that's a case of young vote. Uh, my first guy, and again, this could be my formative years as a Ravens fan growing up, Edwin Mulatalo is that guy. I think he deserves to be on that list. Uh, you could even put a guy like Matt Flynn instead of Matt Burke, uh, two Super Bowl winning centers. Pick your poison there, I guess. Um, outside of that, I mean, Va- we've had some great fullbacks. Big fullback guy over here, but you're not overtaking Vontae Leach. A, a, a backfield with Jamal Lewis and Vontae Leach would be so intimidating, and I would love every single second of it. Gus Bus doesn't even stand like hold a candle to the power that that would uh, that backfield would bring. And then my only other one, and uh, I go back and forth because I look at the defensive line. Haloti Lot, Haloti excuse me, Lock. Tony Saragusa, spoiler alert, was almost my random Raven this week. He ended up not being, I think, pretty close to a lock. Michael McCrary was so good for those early Ravens teams. But in my heart of hearts, a guy like Kelly Gregg, who when we played I Claim a couple weeks ago, was like top 10 in tackles as a nose tackle (laughs) for this team, as a nose guard, like just the, the... grittiest most overlooked role on on the entire team almost um and he i think he should have gotten a shot but again if, if you're skewing real young although mccrary got the vote so maybe not I, I don't know what stats they presented for people if people just looked at sacks and went oh i'm gonna pick this guy and the only well, other one i don't think and sorry jace i'll let you finish in a minute the only other one um that i don't disagree with but shouts out to matt stover who just joined twitter by the way at matt three stover on twitter uh it's a testament to how good Justin Tucker is that he is not on this list. Yeah, I wanted to take some exception to Tucker that I was like, nah, he's like probably the best kicker in NFL history. So it's fine. It's fine. He got the the selection ahead of Matt Stover. Uh, to your point, Tim, uh, I did think the two that jumped out to me that weren't the Flacco and Steve uh, and um, Derek Mason, excuse me, uh, was I thought you could take Saragusa out and perhaps put Kelly Gregg in. Uh, mainly because Greg had double the amount of games played, uh, or close to it, uh, double the amount of seasons as Tony Saragusa. Now, the Goose, such a big personality, such a big part of those early Ravens teams, I get it. But the same thing, uh, I would have uh, put Edwin Militalo in place of Kelechi Osimile. Um Just because the same thing, played longer, uh, was such a key part of those early teams, paving the way for Jamal Lewis on the first Super Bowl team, uh, next to Jonathan Ogden for years. Um, and you know, as always a fun, he was a guy 98 rock had on all the time to do post game shows and stuff. So, uh, I, I, uh, I always loved him. So th- those were my only two exceptions. I have to say the linebacker core is staggering. And the fact that like Jarrett Johnson, one of my favorite players ever just is rightfully like not on this list. Uh, uh, you know, at least the way they did it, because with two inside linebackers, you could, if you wanted to cheese it a little bit and say three linebackers, you could maybe take Mosley off. But, I mean, C.J. Mosley, being a, an all-pro, I believe, you know, being probably the fourth best player on this list, that's crazy. Suggs, Bulware, Ray Lewis, C.J. Mosley, you're winning so many games with that, if that's your linebacker. And real quickly, too, you mentioned Jared Johnson. Bart Scott, uh, you have guys like Adalis Thomas, Elvis Doomerville, who was incredible for the couple seasons he was in Baltimore. All guys that could have made a list on pretty much any other all-time team roster uh, in terms of the linebacking core. But they don't make it. Jamie Sharper as well, if you didn't mention him. Another guy that could have made it. So, I mean, the linebacker core is certainly the most stacked place in this lineup. And unsurprisingly, obviously. 
And, you know, this is a franchise that's only 25 years old with a lot of good names on it already. Uh, and look forward to the next 25 years. You know, tweet at us at Pod Like a Raven. Uh, Instagram us at Pod Like a, Pod like a Raven because I know the terms for what you do on Instagram. D- DM us at Pod Slide Like a Raven. DMs. Slide those DMs. <laughs> with your guys' thoughts on who should have been included, who should not have been included. Just agree with me about Derek Mason. But all right, we're going to move on from this. Uh, I want to do a couple of quick news things and then move on from them. Uh, the Ravens announced uh, maybe a week ago that they are going they're, – they're already promising essentially a limit on fans in the stadium for now. Going to be 14,000 fans are the maximum they are going to let in for a Ravens home game for the season at this point. I don't think any of us think that number is going to go up. Uh, I think it's very likely the number ends up going down, especially early in the season. But sort of this is already an indicator that – teams are trying to adjust and, and trying to finally sort of come to some decisions on how this COVID is going to affect the upcoming season. I know we were talking, a few teams have already said no fans at the stadium. I think you guys were saying the Giants and the Eagles and, and some other teams will certainly follow. For now, the Ravens, 14,000 only. That's going to be funny to see if they even do that because it's like 100 fans a, a section or something like that. So It'd be almost comical to watch, but uh, at the moment I would vote that that's not going to happen. <laughs> Another thing we want to go over quickly is uh, Tim alertly saw the a, a tweet by Matthew Judon earlier this week <laughs> uh, asking the Honey Badger, "How's the real estate in KC?" Asking for a friend, Tim. Do you want to you want to take this? Are we are we annoyed here? Are we concerned? Annoyed? So this this all came, and I'm pretty sure I'm looking now currently and maybe he deleted them or maybe it's just he hasn't tweeted in a while (laughs) but this was all around the the day to sign franchise tag players to a long-term deal was uh july 15th there's gifts of the gif of spongebob sitting there waiting with his cup of coffee uh was tweeted right before four o'clock he also tweeted y'all leave me alone i'm waiting on an important call before four kind of hinting at the frustration that he's clearly feeling that he did not get a long-term deal. Um, also, yeah, it looks like none of this... It, oh, here it is. How's the real estate in KC asking for a friend? Everybody blew up like, oh my God, the Chiefs are going to go after Matt Judon because they certainly have the salary cap space to do that now. Um, Tyron Matthew, actually, I didn't see this, replied, solid, a nice bang for your buck, which I think I really appreciate. <laughs> um, and... Judon goes, I'll make sure they get this info, yada, yada, yada. And Marlon Humphrey even got in on it like, hey, who's the friend? Who, who are we talking about here? Who is that? So <laughs> he did this whole thing. It, it blew up on Twitter, obviously. Ravens fans read into it way too much. And then he goes, I was just asking for a friend, which is ridiculous. <laughs> I get tired of all this crap. Um, when I texted this to the guys originally a couple days ago, it made me irrationally angry. It's like, <laughs> shut up. You're not good enough to be played as a premier pass rusher. But – that's a whole other debate that we've had plenty of times and I'm sure we'll continue to have until Judon walks after this year. Um, so I don't know. It's just a stupid Twitter thing to bring up to, that if you didn't see it, maybe have a look and like in the, it's just in the moment of, I get you're annoyed, but it's this whole era of players like venting to social media rather than having internal discussions with the team. And maybe, Maybe the team didn't reach out, and that's something completely different, but I don't know. A little thing to bring up that kind of just annoyed me probably way too much. (laughs) 
Yeah, and uh, I mean, in addition to the Mahomes contract, which we talked about a lot last episode, they also on the I believe it was either the night before or on franchise day, uh, the Chiefs had tagged Chris Jones, their uh, star defensive tackle, uh, and they did give actually give him a new contract, and Jones had threatened to hold out. So uh, I assume it's just was Judon just commenting on, see, they paid their best defensive player versus. Uh, you know what the Ravens are doing, but we've talked many times. And we, I was gonna say, first of all, he's clearly not our defense best defensive player, so. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he would, I think, be second on the team, uh, probably if we're if it's between him or Marlon Humphrey, they're probably saying, "See you, Matt." But uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I I just assumed it was him just venting about that. Like you said, he would probably prefer as a fan that they take this stuff, you know into negotiations but it's a player using what leverage he has which is his platform to probably needle his team a little bit but as long as he you know he has incentive to play this year because he needs a contract for next season so uh i'm not too worried about it myself (laughs) another thing that came out relative to the ravens uh last week was espn put out a power rankings these are the power rankings you put out when there's not a lot of live sports going on but they compiled (laughs) a power ranking projecting all 32 nfl teams for the next three years this is sort of like an outlook power rankings and the ravens at the number one spot in that power rankings uh they ranked the overall roster minus the qb third the qb third coaching staff fifth drafting third and the front office as a number one overall ranking and put those all together and the Ravens ended up as the number one team moving looking forward to the next three years I'll turn to you guys for your thoughts brief thoughts on this you know it's Lamar plus the current salaries of certain players young players on the team for the next two or three years and and here they are you know having won 14 (laughs) games the year before uh your guys thoughts on on them being ranked number one for the next three years it's primarily about Lamar and his money you talk about young players on good deals Lamar's on I believe it's three more years which is what this ranks out to in the next three (laughs) years the Ravens have the chance to be the best team in the NFL and they also trust the front office to not pull a Rams and make this last and make this work and make the moves they have to make um, in order to you know whether it's bringing in a a veteran superstar on a one-year deal to really boost a team for a Super Bowl run in this window. We talked about it two weeks ago. This is the window for this team. Um, These three years before you have to pay Lamar Jackson uh, after all the stuff with Mahomes, obviously. So I think pretty much all of it comes down to that. And um, I thought it was interesting, you know, in terms of draft, Antonio, I believe you said, I don't have it in front of me, they were ranked number one in terms of drafting or they were number three, excuse me. So Uh, Three in terms of drafting and then first in terms of front office. Okay, so... Meld them together, make it two. Why not? Because it, it, they kind of go hand in hand. And if you if you believe that the Ravens are going to continue to hit on their draft picks, all reports they had a great draft. We'll see what happens when these guys get on the field. Mixed with a quarterback on a on a very f- team friendly contract, who is the unanimous MVP. It only spells good things uh, for Baltimore moving forward. And long may it continue. God willing. <laughs> The, the the main thing I think I'm surprised by that list because like we said it's Lamar that's the main <laughs> the rest can change but the projection is you have a now 23 year old MVP uh, with three more years left on his rookie contract so bodes well but uh, I'm surprised they had this the coaching staff ranked as low as they did uh, just because I think at this point you know I've had 
questions about John Harbaugh plenty throughout the years in the past, but based on what they were able to do, you know, starting in 2018 when they kind of transformed on the fly and then all of last year, I have a lot of faith in, you know, what they're doing. And I don't know if that's an overreaction to like the recent playoff success, but like we know John Harbaugh can win the playoffs. He's a Super Bowl winning coach. So <laughs> um, I, I, I just would like I Bill Belichick's the best coach. I get that. People love Andy Reid, but I struggle to find two other coaching staffs I would like better than the unit Harbaugh and company have, especially retaining the coordinators like they've been able to do the last few years, which that was a big turnover spot for a while in that kind of down period after the Super Bowl. So I'm a little surprised by that, but um, yeah, I mean, I get it with, uh, you know, all the pieces they have in place. The Ravens should be competitive year in and year out for some time. I'm looking through the coaching lists. It's sort of a little tedious, but New England is the number one ranked coaching uh, group. You would not be surprised. Fair, the Chiefs, <laughs> the Chiefs are second. Uh, I'm seeing San Francisco at four, and then would like to see who three is. Three is the New Orleans Saints. I mean, the, the, you know, the teams that are, are are consistently good for the most part and, and have had some long tenured successful head coaches. But I, I think your point is still well taken, Jace. Absolutely. Um, so the last, the last sort of Ravens bit is, is my other, what's bothering Antonio, the, uh, I don't know if anybody's heard, but Madden's released their new, their new video game, uh, Madden 21. And so they announced all the rankings of all the players. And that has just been, just been met with so much, uh, anger and frustration from, from fans, from the players themselves. There are sirens going off in the background. That's how angry I am that I've just created this this storm, this fury of annoyance. It really, it's just so stupid. It's so minimal for people to get upset that a video game version of a player's agility number is only 92 as opposed to 96. And I hate it so much. How Madden ranks players in a video game is not how we should be ranking players in real life. The video game numbers are almost always based off of, you know, what happened the year before. Or, with like, Gronkowski's numbers are really high and the guy hasn't played football in two years. So it's like, why is that guy's not... It's all... It's ridiculous. It's unimportant. It's all a marketing ploy to sell video games, to get the conversation talking about this game over and over and over again. And that's what's bothering me this week. And we're not going to talk about it today. We may talk about it in a few weeks because, you know, you got to give the people what they want. But what's bothering Antonio this week is that Madden ratings are not important. And with that, I'm going to take a breath and turn to Tim for this week's Random Raven. Tim. Take it away. Yeah, before I say that, you're not the Lamar was pissed that he was a 94. I think he's the third <laughs> overall. He was he was mad. So hey, chip on the shoulder. Glass half full. That's a chip right, on the shoulder. Right, Lamar, like be be a 99 on the field, and then don't worry about the 94 in the video game. There anyway, you go. Okay, give me away from this microphone, Tim. Go go. Please. All right. So here is the random Raven this week. Uh, if you don't know, obviously. Uh, we give five clues. The guys and you at home get to guess who it is. And at the end of, sh- end of the show, excuse me, we will reveal who the random Raven is. So without further ado, clue number one. This two-time Super Bowl champion played for four different teams in his career. Clue number two. The Chicago Bears drafted him out of New Hampshire in the fifth round of the 2007 NFL Draft. 
He made the Pro Football Writers Association all-rookie team that season and also made a Pro Bowl in his final season with the Bears. Clue number three. He was known as a special teams ace. One of these guys. Special teams ace. Matthew Slater type. Clue number four. During his two seasons in Baltimore, he featured in all 32 regular season games but only started 13 times. But he did notch six regular season interceptions in those two years. That eliminated a name that I had as a potential guest. So these get easier. I think you guys will get it with clue number five, and I have a bonus we can do as well if you need. But clue number five, his vital performance in the Mile High Miracle is often overlooked. He intercepted Peyton Manning twice, The first he returned for a touchdown, and the second came in overtime, setting up Justin Tucker's winning field goal and sending Tim and his friends into rapture in a Towson apartment. (laughs) That's written in this player's Wikipedia page. It's It's right in the bio. (laughs) We knocked over a tray of Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets. Thing that happened. Did you... At least get to pick him up and eat Oh, him. we ate him. Yeah. That's, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the tray you was can't waste that much. The tray was 95% <laughs> gone by the second quarter. So, double overtime, there might have been like three left. But, yeah. We, we picked him up and ate him, for sure. Fair enough. I will, give a, I will give the bonus clue here, just if they need it, uh, to the listeners out there. I think my two co-hosts have it. But he wore the same number currently occupied by Marcus Peters. So, we will reveal that at the end. I think I got it. Did not... Did not have it on the first several clues. <laughs> I had uh, some linebackers in mind as special teams aces, and they weren't making six interceptions, so that, that they yeah, were immediately that, out. That, that gave me pause. <laughs> All right, so we'll uh, we'll have Tim answer that at the end of the show. We want to do some quick NFL news here before we move on to the Ravens' twenty-five greatest games. The first that we're going to talk about is the Washington Redskins, who had. Two very bad, no good weeks. Uh, there has been a push to change the team name for years, maybe even decades at this point, yeah. that was met basically with just uh, ignoring the the cries by owner Dan Snyder. Uh, and that works as long as you're making money. And I think the the biggest push recently was the loss of some of the bigger sponsors for the team, uh, which is, you know, the, we're not going to get, I guess, too much into the ethics of the situation, the frustration of that making something that was wrong right, as opposed to the actual reason for it. But after the loss of those sponsorships, after push based on, you know, some of the things that have happened uh, in our society in the last few weeks, the Black Lives Matter movement, getting more attention and just sort of paying attention to, to issues that have long been ignored, finally, uh, has gotten to the point where the Washington football team is the Redskins no more. Uh, and they will be choosing the, uh, a new team name at a certain point. I'll, I'll toss to you guys if you have more information on that. With just the second half of the very bad news coming out of the Washington football franchise is the Washington post story coming out last week on the pattern of sexual harassment against women, uh, working for the franchise in various positions. So, you know, there are some problems on that team from the absolute top to the bottom uh, of the franchise. 
I'll turn to you guys just on your on your thoughts on on both of these points, but the potential of Dan Snyder being forced to sell the team, you know, a la the Clippers when they had sort of their mess, uh, I want to say about five or, or even more years ago at this point. Um, but just thoughts on on what's come out of the DC camp, Jace? Why don't you uh, take so this first? It some of the reports I've read it doesn't seem like the NFL is going to. F- there's no real push for the owners to make Dan Snyder sell the team yet. But I think the whole week was just a real reflection of just how kind of second rate and slapdash he runs the Redskins. Well, not even the Redskins anymore. And that's like to announce you're dropping the name, but not have a new name is such a, like we knew they were going to get rid of the name. They've had the name for 87 years. Like, I just don't know why they would rush to drop the name, but then not have their ducks in a row to announce a new name. Like, I know there was sponsor pressure and they had to do something, but it's like a competent organization would just be like, we're changing the name and this is what it is. They'd have the trademark stuff taken care of. They'd have new logos ready. They would have done this years ago on their own accord, like you said. Um, But... And then just coupled with the report, so, like, just not having a name, a new name, it's just such a Dan Snyder move to be, like, not have a plan. Like, we're just referring to them now as the Washington NFL team and all these news stories that have subsequently come out. Uh, it's it's just, it's so Dan Snyder. And I think that is the kind of the, the, the takeaway from the Post story, too. Now, he wasn't directly implicated But, like, it's his franchise, right? He knows, at least with some of these top executives, some of these things that have gone on. And even though he allegedly, per the Post report, wasn't, like, perpetrating any of this harassment, like, just, like, the culture that he has allowed to exist there for decades now, since 1999 when he purchased the team, is just, it's shoddy, it's second rate, and if I was an NFL owner, I would want Dan Snyder to sell, because he is just driving the whole... The, he's, he's bringing the league down. Like, the, re, when he bought the team, he bought it for a record revenue. And, you know, Washington should be one of the... is one of the NFL's biggest markets, one of the most historically successful teams, kind of before he <laughs> bought it. <laughs> and um, I, he just... You know, you watch these games and there's just no fans in the stands in the last, like, two seasons. It's just like... You can buy tickets to FedEx for $10. I I just don't know how, you know, these owners want to keep him in the league. And, you know, I don't think there's anything that can force him out, and at least not that showed up in the post report, but just all these incidents taken together. It just is such a poor reflection on his leadership and really, you know, or lack thereof for, you know, the 20 years he's owned the team now. So I'd want him out if I was the NFL, but it doesn't seem like he's going to be going anywhere. Uh, probably, unfortunately, for Washington <laughs> fans. And just a quick note, I want to add that the, I think, three minority owners of the team have said that they're planning to sell their stake. So e- even another level of frustration with Dan Snyder and the franchise as a whole. Well, that's what happened too. It, the, if you don't, if you're not sitting on social media all the time like the three of us are, <laughs> this came out of I'm hearing, and it was a little annoying by reporters of like, if this is true, this is going to be huge. Wait till this time, and it's like, well, if you have it, report it. Like, the, come on, or just or don't say anything at all. But everybody just wants to tweet their own stuff, and I think unfortunately some of the gravity of the situation got lost because people were almost expecting like this 
insane story while this is horrible and horrifying what happened to this organization. And, I mean, Jace, you put it lightly, this organization and Dan Snyder is a stain on the NFL's reputation. They're a complete stain and a complete waste, and it, and it's it's gotten really bad for a franchise, yeah, that has a relatively rich history. Um, and I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think there's any way he's going, unfortunately. There's no way to to boot him out unless the owners can get together and, and force him out in some sort of way. I don't know the logistics of how that all works, um, uh, to be completely honest, but, but th- this whole sexual allegations story is, is frankly disgusting. And, and I'm, you know, I'm just kind of repeating what you guys said, cause you've nailed it. It's all, even if, first of all, I don't believe for a second, he didn't know about it. I think that's an absolute joke, but if you want to take the report as it was that he no comment he didn't he was not implicated in any of these cases the fact of the matter is the problem is he runs that organization the way he does and that in in turn allows this behavior and it's reprehensible um in terms of the name antonio i'm with you it's it is sad that it came down to well the money it's always the money it's it's the money you moron is something that one of the hosts uh or one of the former hosts of the channel i work on used to say and that's what finally forced it. It should have happened long ago. Um, I think this debate and, you know, I think we've all kind of learned after all the things that are going on in our society now of what kind of damage a name like that can do. And I think that finally the the right step was made. Jace, you're dead on. The fact that they don't have a name um, <laughs> picked out is, is a ridiculous when this has been a debate for for. You know, it should be it should have been a debate for longer, yeah, but it's well, been a debate since like 2013, at the very least. Well, and that's that's when 2013 is when he told my employer, USA Today Sports. I believe I was an intern at the time when he said this. He said he would never, and you can use all caps, change the names. Yes. And from the second he said that, I think that was kind of the writing on the wall for it to change. Because, uh, uh, but to Antonio's point, there's been legis- or, uh, not legislation, but uh, you know, court cases, tri- uh, litigation. Um, rather about the name going back i believe the first cases were filed in like 1992 1993 so this has been decades uh, you know that even predates snyder's ownership of the team i was still when jack came cook owned the club so uh it's been a long time uh but yeah it's just with the never thing that was just such it's dan snyder's arrogance and you know him cutting down those trees along the cno canal and there's just like a laundry list of things about dan snyder that he's just he <laughs> a contemptible human on many levels i'll end it this way uh and i because i know we have other things to talk about too but i can't imagine being a washington nfl fan and trying to deal with the you know, first of all, the years of misery on the field. <laughs> right. But then trying to counterbalance your fandom with the disgusting nature of the franchise. And I don't know how you deal with that. I, I don't know if we're sitting here and all this stuff comes out about the Baltimore Ravens and how you justify still being a fan, how you how you take the, well, it's not on the field stuff. I think in today's day and age, it's really tough to balance that. And in any other situation, or I shouldn't say any, but in most other situations, I'd be like, you can't switch from your team. That's your team. That's your team. Washington NFL fans, if you're tired of it, we got plenty of seats on the Lamar train. That's all I'm saying. 
Come on in. Don't act like you've been here for forever. You still got some, some work to do. <laughs> but you are welcome up 95 about an hour to M&T Bank Stadium because I think it's just – it's gotten to a point where I'm I'm – shocked that there's still people like dying on the hill of the redskins yeah. and all this type of stuff well and, and not just final point on that to, to your point tim like we did see the ravens really fail um handling the ray rice situation very true um but you know it does seem like to some degree they must have learned something from that because you know the, it's been you know six years now and thankfully the the franchise hasn't really had a similar situation or they have the, you know, they cut guys almost immediately when they get arrested these days, uh, for various things. Um, but it seems like they learn from that. And I think that's the difference with Dan Snyder is these things just keep happening in that organization year after year after year and nothing changed. Like, you know, we, this report comes out about the sexual harassment and that's horrible, obviously, but like, we had that article two years ago that came out about how they were treating their cheerleaders and very similar kind of sexual harassment allegations and nothing was done about it. And that was, you know, now we're here, here we are two years later dealing with all the same stuff with this guy and his team. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's just, maybe this is the impetus for Snyder finally learning something. I don't see that happening. He's 55. I think he is what he is at this point. Uh, but it's just, in, it, yeah, really disappointing that this stuff just keeps happening because, you know, we know a lot of fans of this team and you want them to have success and joy in their life. And just with this guy in charge, I just, I don't see it happening <laughs> anytime soon. Yeah. And so, you know, the, that franchise is going to move forward with a new head coach, a new GM, Ron Rivera, taking over as head coach, obviously, who's going to have to lead in terms of X's and O's and lead, you know, off the field in terms of trying to move this this franchise forward. So we will see uh, how they d- deal with this in the next few weeks and, and what happens off the field and on the field as we turn into next season. And speaking of next season and what exactly that next season is going to be, we want to give sort of an update on what we know and what we don't know about the coronavirus affected 2020 NFL season so Jace I know the NFL has said some things about this the players have said their own things you know they're they're concerned about certain aspects of this so uh what is sort of the latest update that you can give us on on what's going to be going on with the NFL teams yeah so NFL players um hit social media hard the other day Uh, I believe it was um Sunday afternoon um with uh a hashtag we want to play uh campaign if you will um and essentially their reasoning was we're really getting down to it camps are allegedly supposed to be opening sometime i believe next monday for most teams uh in the next week or so uh and there are very little details about how we are handling um (laughs) the coronavirus pandemic um you know the NBA is locked in their bubble. That seems to be going well. They reported no new positive tests for all players in the bubble today. So, so far, so good for the NBA. Uh, we'll see what happens when they actually start playing games. Um, but uh, baseball is set to start this week, and things seem to be going well. But the NFL plan is to just kind of play the season. It has been for a while, and now it's become clear that that is not realistic <laughs> an idea as the coronavirus kind of surges in parts around the country, including in a several number of 
uh, NFL cities, you know, Miami, the Florida's teams, Jacksonville, uh, Phoenix for a while there, several hot spots. Los Angeles has been pretty bad. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, so they, they hit hard on this. We want to play campaign, basically demanding answers to these kind of health protocols. And it seems that at least, uh, as of recording today, they've, uh, at least come to an agreement on how they'll handle things during camp. Uh, so they've agreed to daily testing for the first two weeks. Uh, and if their positive rate drops below 5%, uh, this according to Tom Pelissero of uh, NFL.com, uh, if the rate drops below 5% for players and tier one slash tier two individuals, which I assume is various front office and coaching personnel, uh, testing will then switch, um, to every other day. Um, so there's still obviously a lot of, you know, granular details I'm sure will come out in the next week, uh, what all this, uh, involves but i think if there was any hope of a season happening daily testing at least during camp seemed to be mandatory because you're onloading all these players um and not you know keeping them in controlled environments so if you're letting them go about their day-to-day life they do need to be tested and with if they're out and about these cities uh and not you know locked down in one location so it seems like the NFL season's happening. <laughs> we'll uh, know more for sure in the next few days. Uh, but I think it's a big first step to kind of get to where we need to be. And I think it's, you know, power to the players. Again, we mentioned Matt Judon for, you know, contract purposes. But this was players, you know, taking to social media and kind of showing like, hey, we're not getting the answers we kind of need to play and we're the people who play. So... I think it's good that both sides worked out a deal. They kind of see that it's necessary. It's going to take so much money, but the NFL has so much money. Um, so, you know, the least they can do if the NFL owners want to seize it is, you know, shell out for daily testing for what hundred plus individuals that are on these training camps. So it's going to take a lot, but I think it's necessary if the NFL wants to, you know, play this year. When this coronavirus sort of jump in cases and, and jump in it, it, as a pandemic and as an emergency in the United States happened. It was mid-March. Baseball was sort of just getting underway. Basketball was prime in the middle of their season. And they had this sort of panic stop without a plan because this had come out of nowhere. The NFL had the absolute luxury of having six, eight months to prepare for this in every way possible. With the revenue that the NFL has, in those six to eight months, they could have built like an NFL campus that could have just survived on its own if they absolutely needed, and it wouldn't even have put a dent in the NFL bottom line. The excuse they have is that the coronavirus was changing every day, every month. You never knew how things were going to handle it. Things were going to get better. Things were going to get worse. You would have expected or hoped or dreamt that the NFL would have had plans for every possible situation that happened as we got closer and closer to the start of of training camps and and regular season games. It has not really seemed like that. It it sort of seemed like instead of coming up with 10 plans for 10 different scenarios (laughs) and then acting on which scenario happens... They came up with zero plans and just waited for the scenario to present itself and then act on that plan. Kudos to the players. 
you know, you cannot play the games without the players unless you're a big fan of Keanu Reeves uh, in the replacements. But in most instances, you cannot play the games without the players. So at a certain point, I'm glad that they're pushing for clarity, for a plan. That's all players want in these situations. They want to know what the plan is and they want to ensure that they and their families are safe. That's it. Not a really, you know, high bar. I'm nervous that this is not going to get resolved as we get closer and closer. We've been talking about this for months, and at the time, even the three of us said, plenty of time, plenty of time. We're now weeks away, really, from from serious (laughs) NFL activities, and I don't know how much clarity there is. So we will, you know, I will ask the players to keep pushing on this and see how this ends up rolling out, but uh, certainly a lot more questions than answers still at this point. Uh, Any other thoughts on uh, on this guys before we move on all right so let's go now to some some better news some lighter news and that is the ravens announcing coming out with this 25 greatest games in their 25 year history so tim can you give us a little uh sort of intro on how this list came about yeah so when there is no football there's tons of games to watch on youtube uh basically again as we mentioned at the top of the show in honor of the 25th anniversary of the baltimore ravens they have put together a, a list of the all-time team and the different stuff. This one is the 25 greatest games in Ravens history. To me, it sounds like they're listening to Pod Like a Raven, but that's different because a few weeks ago, if you don't remember, we did best regular season games. This one is all encapsulating for all the top games in Ravens history. It was a panel of uh, John Eisenberg, who now I believe writes for the Ravens. He used to write for the Baltimore Sun. Jerry Sandusky, play-by-play man for the Ravens. Uh, Ryan Mink and Garrett Downing, who were part of the social media PR team. Scott Garceau, who used to be the radio guy for the Ravens. Keith Mills, all Baltimore sports. If you're from Baltimore, you know who Keith Mills is on the radio. And uh, Kevin Byrne, who I believe now is is a vice president of operations, but he's been with the PR team. He's close with, you know, he is the direct connection on a lot of times between the coaches, the front office, and the media. So uh, the, what they did was on youtube you can go on and see they've they all voted and they made a list based on uh put smashing all their lists together of the top 25 games in raven's history what they have done is they've done a youtube list where you can do full replays so when get them in now before sports come back because there's a lot of good ones in there they also have and we'll tweet this out at pod like a raven as well um the an hour special of all the guys kind of talking about the list and going through specific games and telling stories and stuff um, I won't give the whole list here, but I do want to give the top 10 at the very least. Uh, you can check the full thing out um, on Twitter or just search just search top 25 games in Ravens history. I'm sure it'll pop up in a Google search uh, from the Baltimore Ravens website. But uh, just going from 10 to 1 here, number 10, Jamal Lewis going for 295 yards against the Cleveland Browns. Love it. Number 9, the Ravens close out Texas Stadium, the old Cowboys Stadium, with a big win. Uh, number eight, the first game in Ravens history, which was a 1914 win over the Oakland Raiders. Number seven, the Ravens beating the Raiders in the AFC Championship game to go to their first Super Bowl. Number six, the Ravens beating down the New England Patriots in the 2009 AFC Wild Card game. Uh, number five is Super Bowl 35, coming in at number five, a Super Bowl win. We can talk about that in a sec. Number four, uh, in that same playoff run, the Ravens beating the Titans in Tennessee in the divisional game. Number three, the AFC Championship win over the Patriots to send the Ravens to their second Super Bowl. Number two, that Super Bowl, the Harbaugh. And number one, the mile-high miracle in that same playoff run against the Denver Broncos. Um, 
There's some other ones here, too, as well that I want to talk about. We can mention a couple stories, but again, if you want these guys breaking it down, you can always go watch that special. Uh, We were talking about it off-air. Highly recommend it. It it flies by. Really well-paced. They did a really, really good job with this thing, as as they seem to have done on their social over the last couple of years. They've been really good at it. But, uh, Mr. Evans, I'll start with you. Any takes on the list? Any particular games personally for you that stick out? Anything like that? My hottest take is that Super Bowl 47 is my least favorite game of those four playoff wins that the Ravens had in January of 2013. I was so stressed out watching the second half of that game. <laughs> and away, I wasn't necessarily for, like, the other ones. I think the number one is correct. I think that is my number one game as well. Um Beyond, the obviously, the Joe Flacco miracle play, which I think we've called the greatest play in Ravens history on this podcast before, or at least I have. But uh, um, beyond that, you mentioned, uh, you know, there's just so much in that game. I, I watched highlights of it somewhat recently. You know, uh, the Broncos, I believe, had two different kick returns. There was a punt return and a kick return for touchdowns. Uh, Torrey Smith had two just incredible catches on bombs from Joe Flacco in that first half, uh, getting behind Hall of Famer Champ Bailey. There was just so much going on in that game. It was back and forth, and, you know, you were like, oh, not like this, uh, Ray's, you know, Ray's last game. But then for them to the, – the, the miracle play and then to win it like they did – that was just an incredible game, and I don't know that uh, – I'd be hard-pressed to know if that will ever be top for me, honestly. It will, remains to be seen. But uh, um, but I actually liked the win over the Patriots more than the Super Bowl itself, personally. I found it just so satisfying. The way that year ended the year before with the Lee Evans should have had it, drops it, or strip, depending on your take on it uh, – uh, then followed by the Cundiff missing to force overtime. Uh, just the way that ended, and then to be in the same place the next year and shut them out in the second half uh, to get to the Super Bowl, because that was, I think, the first hurdle, was I was never sure the Ravens were just going to get to the Super Bowl. And then after they did, I was kind of like, you know, it was great they won the Super Bowl and didn't uh, at blow what would have been at the time the biggest blown lead in Super Bowl history. Uh, but... I just was so satisfied with that. So I actually am mostly fine with the order of the, uh, the top 10. I would have the, um, the mile high miracle above the Harbaugh, but I'm curious, I guess where the Super Bowls and I would argue I might have Super Bowl 35 ahead of the Harbaugh. Cause that was just a party the entire time where one of the most dominant defenses of all time just laid the smack down for 60 minutes on just a hapless Kerry Collins, New York giants team. And that was so fun. I mean, I was a kid and, uh, you know, I think we were in third grade when that happened. And uh, I just had such belief that the Ravens were going to win that game. I never doubted they were going to win that Super Bowl. So I feel like I enjoyed the process of watching that Super Bowl a lot more than Super Bowl 47. But I don't know if that's I'm alone on this island or not. (laughs) Real quickly, and Antonio, I'll let you get to that. But it's just an interesting thing from that story that it was Scott Garceau, I believed, uh, that he said... This was the cockiest team I've ever seen, talking about that 2000 Ravens team. Uh, and you actually mentioned it during when they were talking about the AFC Championship game against the Raiders and then brought it back up again in Super Bowl 35. 
And it, it was the cockiest team I've ever seen. Once they won in Tennessee, they knew it was over. They were like, all right, it doesn't matter. When are we getting the trophy? Yada, 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 which I love to see. I mean, you got Shannon Sharp. You got Goose. You got a rung, young Ray Lewis as well. Um, and then when you talk about that, there was another clip from that Super Bowl that there's a, a famous NFL Films clip of Jim Fossil being like, guys, you got to speed up. They're playing faster than you. And the Giants players basically looking at him like, what the, do you want us to do? Like, do we have no answer to this? And, and I mean, that beatdown was incredible. But I don't, I don't know where you put those, Antonio. I mean, there's, you know, there's the fan side of this, and then there's the team and the player side of this. I, I don't know which game I, I enjoyed the most. I guess the, 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 in multiple in those two Super Bowl runs, there have been games that I think were the games that we thought we should lose, kind of thing. But once we won those, Tim, as you just mentioned. All of a sudden, the sky was the limit for for the team, and that's the win over the Titans uh, in the playoffs in the year 2000. And then I think it's it's the mile high miracle before the Patriots game because we had already played the Patriots on the road. We had had Jace, as you said, that mirror game with them already, where we thought we were the better team and lost. But after winning in Denver in a shootout against a better team, all of a sudden you start to look around and you go, "Holy, this team could." They could win the Super Bowl. Not only could they go, but they could win, and maybe they should win at this point. So those are the, the games that sort of sit as memories, maybe more than the Super Bowls themselves at time. Because as a fan sitting there and rooting for your team, but loving them as underdogs, there are those moments when you realize that that team is better maybe than what you even thought they were, uh, or they're at least getting better as as the season continues. Another one is the... Uh, the road win against the Steelers uh, in that Super Bowl season in 2012. Another one of those games, beat the Big Brother game and get over the hump. And, you you know, they lost to the Steelers in the postseason in, in the Flacco era more than once. And this was the, wait a minute, they can beat them in Pittsburgh. Uh, this team is, you know, is, is special and is better than maybe we thought going into the season. Uh, the other aspect that I liked about this you know, our clip that I recommend people listen to is that uh, the group analyzing these games went a little further back than maybe most Ravens fans would even know about or think to go back in those games in the 90s, big games that they won in the 90s when the franchise was just starting, uh, and some of the regular season games from the Super Bowl year uh, that not all in 2000 that not a lot of people know about. Get, you know, they used to play the Jaguars twice a year and the Titans twice a year when the divisions were different. Uh, and big wins against those two teams were in that era, and they mentioned this, you know, in that clip, in that era were wins like beating the Steelers, beating the Titans on the road, beating the Jags on the road. They were both better teams at the time. Um, and it was sort of cool to hear the, these stories and this analysis from from that time in the 90s and 2000. And in addition to that, something I just thought of as we were looking at these uh, these notes that Tim uh, dutifully put together, so thank you very much, but I did not know that the first Ravens touchdown was a Vinny Testaverde <laughs> rushing touchdown, which then just sort of fits in, the, if you like, sort of circular, you know, love of the Ravens. Joe Flacco's first touchdown was a rushing touchdown against the Bengals. <laughs> Lamar Jackson's first touchdown was a rushing touchdown. So you sort of have this nice arc of, like, who were the important quarterbacks in this franchise's history? The first one, the to this point, the best one, and now, you know, taking on the, the role as, as the future of this team have all sort of had this similar 
uh, intro to, to the Ravens. I'm not going to talk about Kyle Bowler. Don't know what his first touchdown was. <laughs> Didn't bother to look his up. It probably took a long, a long time to get to it. But, yeah, so these are sort of my first thoughts. Uh, and then my last point, I'll use this as just sort of a debating topic with you guys. In theory, shouldn't Super Bowls be your two biggest games? <laughs> I'm, like, arguing against myself now, but biggest games, the two Super Bowls that your franchise won, or, or no? I mean, quickly before I get into some of my thoughts here, I think when you look at what was happening here was their, like, best games of all time and the ones that you're always going to remember. You remember the Super Bowls for a different type of occasion. Um, the fact of the matter is, the Giants didn't show up to Super Bowl 35, and it was just one special team's touchdown, and we could have had the shutout, the only shutout in Super Bowl history, which still bothers me to this day. Um, so it was fun, but in terms of, like, I'll never forget where I was for the Mile How Miracle. I will never forget watching that Patriots game a year a year after they lost there with Lee Evans and Billy Cundiff. Ray Lewis, Ray Lewis making the speech immediately after of, don't think about this. We've moved on. This happens for a reason. We're coming back. We're coming back angry, and we're going to be here again. And they did. By the way, peak Ray Lewis stuff in all of this. <laughs> and then I ended up watching the 2012 America's game about that Super Bowl season. Oh, and man. you forget. I think we forget. And you might say, oh, no, I remember Ray. You don't remember Ray. Because every time he spoke, all the opposing fans thought it was ridiculous, and I couldn't love it anymore. I mean, he just – Fires you up every single time he talks. And they, they, they show the press conference where he announces his retirement. And he legitimately says it's my last ride in, in typical Ray fashion. <laughs> um, and I, I lost it. I was like this. I, I got so many emotions uh, coming through me. Yeah. But, but in, in short, Antonio, yes and no. Maybe if they were really, really great Super Bowls. But one, like J- Jay said, almost was the worst collapse in NFL history at the time. <laughs> And the other was a beatdown. So I think you remember the ones that are, have a little more drama to them, maybe. Um, but outside of that, just a couple notes. Uh, I, I like your point on some of the older things. The Steelers weren't always the Steelers. The Patriots weren't always the Patriots. It was the Titans and the Jaguars. And two of them, number 25 is the first win in Tennessee, which came the season, the Super Bowl season. And they had the SI cover. And uh, Billick pulled it out. And he said, oh, it says the Titans are the NFL's best team. Maybe they are, but not today. And then the Titans used that in the playoff game. They put it up on the big screen to try and use it as motivation and then got their butts whooped. Um, Kevin Byrne also mentioned that Jaguars game you pointed to, saying when we beat them in week two that year, we brought Shannon Sharp in. He was a leader. He scored the game-winning touchdown, and that's when we knew this team could beat really good teams. But, but personally, I have a couple here. Um, the Ravens-Seahawks comeback, not the one this year, but Ravens 44, Seahawks 41, Anthony Wright throwing four touchdowns to win that game. I have and and I could be I don't remember watching this game. I have a vague memory of being there and my dad pulling me early and then they come back and win or it was we did something that day and I'd like after they went down like 28 points, he turned it off. I can't remember. I remember the moment of realizing that they had come back and we didn't watch it. So so I am in a very similar boat on that game because I was watching the game with my dad and they were getting beat so bad and it was a great day. It must have been in like October or something. It was a beautiful day in Maryland, I remember. Uh, and I went to a buddy's house. Uh, we were just like to go like just play football and play outside and stuff. We were in middle school. Uh, and... Um, I remember his dad had it on on a very tiny, like, 
12 inch TV in the garage and it was like watching like Ed Reed block the punt in there. <laughs> I believe kind of kickstarted it, but I know, I don't know if, I don't remember if I watched the entire thing in the garage, but I just remember like watching the game, leaving my house to walk up the street to friends. And then like on my buddy's like very, his dad's very tiny TV in the garage, just watching this comeback. Uh, and yeah, that, I mean, I, to you guys' points, I loved all the older game stuff. Uh, it made me uh, uh, wish Brian Billick had played in a more Twitter era because we would have gotten great quips from him almost constantly, I think. Because, uh, you know, John Harbaugh, better coach. But I, Billick had so many great lines and one-liners. The going to the lion's den, screaming like a banshee thing. I believe that was before the Raiders game. Uh, so I did enjoy that they dug into some of the deeper stuff and got some of these, uh, behind the scenes ones. And, um, yeah, I mean, and like one of my favorites from the, the early Ravens days, and it's above to your point on the Super Bowls above actually on this list, Super Bowl 35, I think we've talked about it before, but Ray Lewis intercepted that ball running down the sideline. That's, that's a moment I'll never forget. We were at a, a friend's house, uh, my parents' friend's house. And I like was just basically sequestered away watching this game by myself, even at like eight years old or whatever I was at the time. Uh, so, um, yeah, it just, you know, it, it was really great to just relive some of these memories. I mean, I could talk about every single, I think I watched all but like two of the games on the list, like the first game and the Colts first game are the only ones I don't have like a memory of happening, I think. So, uh, it, it's just so many, so many great ones. Uh, you know, Jamal Lewis running all over the Browns. Right. Uh, I have a, I have a couple more here. Um, I was at the Ravens Broncos game in the 2000 AFC Wild Card, the first playoff oh, game of that run. Fun. Yeah. Third row from the top. I don't like heights, and I really didn't like them as an eight year old, so that was terrifying. <laughs> uh, but it was cool to be there. Um, one that we should really mention, and I think gets lost in the 2012 season, was Week Three. Uh, Tory Smith's brother had died, uh, ran his motorcycle into a tree, and, and was unfortunately killed. And then they came back on that Sunday night, and they won that game. And I, I will never forget like the emotions you felt. Tory himself, 127 yards and two touchdowns, and it, it was one of those Brett Favre on Monday Night Football after losing his dad moments of like, holy hell, this this has got more of an impact than than a football game. And that one was really special. Um, you mentioned the Jamal Lewis 295. I have, I just have to throw it in here. I remember that game like yesterday. He ran for 205 yards in the other matchup. <laughs> so almost ran for 600 yards or 500 yards, excuse me, against the Browns in one season, which I find incredible. And I just have to share this story. I'm, I'm not going to say I remember this game. It's one of my favorites. It's number nine. It's Ravens. The, the Ravens closing out Texas Stadium with a win. Willis McGahee and probably my number two favorite fullback in Ravens history, LaRon McClain, um, with massive runs in the fourth quarter to kind of cap that one off. What I didn't realize is the season before that, the Ravens were a bad team, and they kind of rebounded the following year. But Jerry Jones specifically went to the NFL and made sure that they were going to play a cupcake for their, quote, homecoming game. And because the Ravens were bad the season before, he specifically requested to have them as the last ever home game. What happens was, and this Kevin Byrne tells the story, the team bus is delayed because they're letting fans in to park and won't let the Ravens bus through to get to the 
get to the locker room and get to the field to start practicing. And Harbaugh is screaming on the uh, on the bus at, at how infuriated he is. <laughs> then they get on the field to start warming up, and the linebackers, the running backs, a bunch of the position groups don't have room to warm up because there's all these celebrities and former cowboys on the field and stuff. And Byrne was like, you could just tell they were – they came floating out of that locker room because they were pissed and they were ready to just show them up. And boy, did they. And that was always a fun one. So, again, go take a look at this list. There's there's plenty of good names on here um, and good games and good memories. Just rewatching that hour thing, they throw a ton of highlights in there for you to remember and kind of reminisce. And trust me, it gets you fired up and it makes you want to go into that full YouTube and kind of pick out your favorite three-hour blocks and just throw them on while you're working from home. Oh, I'm going to sink so many hours into watching these uh, old games. And, you know, it, it sounds oversimplified, but just, you know, watching a special like this, you know, it reminds you of the players that kind of mattered the most to you uh, over the years and like just all the Ray Lewis stuff. And, you know, he can be corny and goofy and <laughs> uh, at times, but, you know, I, he was, he will, was and forever will be my all time favorite Ravens player. And just to, watch all these great games that he i mean you know getting an interception in the very first game in ravens history like he he's been there he was there from the very beginning and uh just to like watch how involved he is in all these great moments and stuff uh it's been a great 25 years and i hope we have another you know equally successful 25 years he was hoping we we get it off with uh fans or no fans get a super bowl uh 55 uh <laughs> uh trophy to kickstart the the next 25 years here with uh, lamar jackson but uh yeah it was awesome just running through all these classic games and uh, all the great memories that came with them tim let's let's wrap this up i think that's a great place to stop let's uh go to the random raven one more time and then we'll wrap this episode up all right, so real quickly, your clues. This two-time Super Bowl champion played for four different teams in his career. Uh, number two, the Chicago Bears drafted him out of New Hampshire in the fifth round of the 2007 NFL Draft. He made a Pro Football Writers Association all-rookie team in his rookie year, clearly, and also made a Pro Bowl in his final season with the Bears. He was known as a special teams ace. During his two seasons in Baltimore, he featured in all 32 regular season games but only started 13 times, but he did notch six regular season interceptions in those two years. Uh, and then clue number four, his vital performance in the Mile High Miracle, coming in at number one on our games list here, uh, is often overlooked. He intercepted Peyton Manning twice. The first he returned for a touchdown, and the second came in overtime, setting up Justin Tucker's winning field goal and sending Tim and his pals into rapture in an apartment in Towson. <laughs> Bonus, if you needed it. Uh, he wore the number currently occupied by Marcus Peters. And fun fact, not really a clue, but he called signing with the Ravens the second best decision of his life outside of marrying his wife. So Antonio, I, that's just Cl in the week. Close one that he didn't switch those two, right. the order of those two things. <laughs> it's just in the Wikipedia, so I figured I'd throw it out there that number two is signing with the Ravens in his entire life, which is not bad. But Antonio, I throw it to you, my friend. Who do you think it is? This player, uh, like a like a better uh, Josh Wilson for the Ravens in sort of a, like a spot corner that they signed and ended up being unbelievably useful in the some of the most important moments for that team Corey graham is that member special teams ace slash interceptions ace in the secondary for that super bowl run yeah that that's who i thought too and i i didn't get it for the first few clues it was basically i think the mile high miracle that tipped me off to it uh I did not realize he had that many interceptions in two years um he was yeah he was really good and i mean 
it's easy to forget in rewatching that, you know, top 25. I, I kind of forgot he intercepted Manning in overtime. I remembered the pick six, but I kind of forgot, like, you know, you, you think of the, the Flacco miracle play, but that was just to force overtime. And then the game goes to double overtime. So, uh, you know, there were several, several clutch plays there in, in the overtime period. And he obviously came up with the biggest one uh, before Jay Tuck ended it. Um, but uh, where did he get the second ring of his? Was it with the uh, Broncos or the Eagles? It was with, I the, know he... it was with the Eagles. He got, Eagles? It, with, he okay. got it with the Eagles. So, yeah, if, if – you can't see me, but I nodded my head. Corey Graham is correct. That is the right random Raven <laughs> this week. That was a, an excellent selection. Uh, and we're just building out. Again, I think that's secondary. The, the random secondary for this Ravens team is maybe going to give up a few bombs, but overall they're just going to be really you know play, the, playmaking. I'd be interested if we have a single member of that secondary that didn't play with Ed Reed. I assume it's no, but... <laughs> um, uh, but uh oh man yeah what a group <laughs> we'll be back in two weeks again with hopefully this much uh news and, and notes to to go over we've been getting kind of fortunate where the uh the content gods have been dropping stuff on the days that we plan to record so we'll be back two weeks from now thank you so much for listening to us if you have suggestions for the show questions complaints if you want to agree about all the things i've been angry about Tweet at us at Pod Like a Raven. Do the Instagram stuff at Pod Like a Raven. Email us at Pod Like a Raven at gmail.com. And we will have some time to uh, create some content around what you guys want to go over or questions that you have for us. For Tim Horsey and Jace Evans, I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to Pod Like a Raven. We will see you in August in two weeks. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.